Howdy, yo! Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. It's my podcast. If you're new here, check the place out, man. Take a look around. We're here in the shop, behind my house, and I've got a pretty special guest today. Uh, India Kincannon is here. Uh, India Kincannon is uh, the mayor of Knoxville. And we've been working on this for a while, uh, since last year, planning getting India in here uh, for a chat. And I've been speaking with the communications team, the city of Knoxville, and uh, it happened. Finally happened. I mean, it's three or four months in the making. A lot of you guys may not know that. The the Patreon crowd knows. Uh, They got a little sneak peek of it and, and knew that we were kind of planning this, but uh, it was kind of a surprise uh, for everybody else. I gave her team the option of me putting the travel rig together and coming to her, making it easy on her. I even said, hey, I, I, I do an hour for these shows, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever I can get. And for some reason, her communications team and, and the mayor herself being so generous and, and kind, they said, no, man, we'll come to you. It's part of the thing. We got to come to you. And yeah, we can do an hour. That's no problem. But no more than an hour. Because she's got stuff to do. And we did it. She came over last week on Monday. Uh, we had a wonderful chat. Uh, one that I've been looking forward to, but also very nervous about for a long time. And uh, I think it went all right. Also, thank you to uh, those of you who came out to Pachakucha last Thursday night uh, to see me present. Uh, this this podcast you're about to hear with the mayor kind of played into that presentation a little bit. It made it a lot of fun to be able to, to, to point to this chat as a moment in this podcast's history. If you're one that likes to take in stuff like this with your eyeballs, this episode's up on YouTube, South of Scruffy YouTube channel. Check it out there if you'd like. But if not, then hang out and uh, listen to my chat here with uh, Mayor India Kincannon. We're doing the podcast. Mayor Kincannon. Ben. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks a lot for doing this. I've uh, been looking forward to it for a long time. I know. Uh, me, too. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, w- w- one of the uh, one of the things that I, that I think about when I uh, think about public servants living in this climate that we're in right now is it's it's got to be you know, a, 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 it's, it's, it's got to be a tougher time to to serve with people seemingly being uh as politically charged and divided as they've ever been, do you find that it's uh, a, a, that it's a harder time to serve than, let's say, if you were the mayor ten years ago? I think uh, it is a time of um, intensity and polarization. So, in that in that sense, absolutely. Plus, with the advent of uh, social media mm-hmm. and uh, trolling, that some people can be pretty toxic when it's not face to face, but. Uh, you know that that helps us rise to the challenge, and and that kind of intensity, um, you know, just makes me want to work harder and do better, and and uh, and represent the vast majority of the people who just want good things to happen for Knoxville, which is what I want to. Well, uh, you're you're the mayor of my favorite city in the world. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful. Are you from here? I am. I uh, yeah. I grew up here. I was born at Fort Sanders Hospital. Okay. Went to Bearden High School. All right. Lived in L.A. for a couple of years, and then moved back. 
That's really. that's the kind of story I like to hear. You know, people go explore the world, grow up here, explore the world, and then come back and find their way and, and share their talents here with Knoxville. So I'm glad you're back. Yeah, me too. And you notice a lot, uh, you know, half the people that come on this show are from elsewhere, but the University of Tennessee brought them here for some reason. That's how I came here, actually. Really? Yeah. Where are you uh, from originally? I grew up in Virginia and yeah. then... Uh, Went to public schools in Virginia, had a great education, and, and then went off to Pennsylvania for college and met my husband there. And um, we both sort of took turns going to grad school and, and then, you know, moving around for mostly his jobs at the time. Um, lived in six different states, and then he got a tenure-track job here at University of Tennessee. We mm. moved here with a six-week-old baby and didn't know a person in town. And uh, we said, well, well, we'll check out Knoxville and see how it goes and... and uh, we fell in love with the place, and here we are, 21 years later. Wow. Which part of Virginia did you grow up in? Loudoun County, Virginia. It's okay. about an hour out of D.C. Uh, okay. Just straight up 81 and, and turn right at Winchester, and my high school, Loudoun Valley High School, is about 30 miles off of 81. Gotcha. Was politics a part of, uh, a, a part of the house growing up, being so close to D.C.? Well, my dad was, is, was has a long uh, career in public service in the federal government. He was recruited out of University of Texas, uh, along with a bunch of other Texans who came up to D.C. Uh, he worked for the Census Bureau and then Office of Management and Budget, and, and then later worked his way up and became director of the Census Bureau. So wow. that was a civil service role, and he yeah. was the first ever um, director to be appointed from within the ranks of the Census Bureau, uh, as opposed to someone who'd been a political donor or something else right. like that. So so we were uh, always exposed, my sister and me, to public service. And my mom was always involved in various um, you know, business endeavors, but also uh, volunteering for local campaigns and, and more involved in the local politics side, which uh, which I love too. I, you know, local politics is is so great because you can see the tangible progress. You can meet your constituents, if you're the elected official or candidate, but you're, you're as as someone who's representing people, I get to see the people I'm trying to serve every day, mm-hmm. and that's not something you can say when you're representing at the state or national level. And and I really uh, appreciate that, and I think that's something um, that I especially like about being mayor. Sounds like it's in your blood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this kind of makes makes a lot of sense of the the trajectory. Um, so so college was. Uh, I went to Haverford College. Okay. It's a small uh, Quaker liberal arts school outside of Philadelphia. Okay, uh, about twelve hundred students, and I was a history major and okay. Spanish minor. Okay, so. yeah. Was that when did when did uh, public service become a thing? I mean, it was obviously around the house, but when did yeah. when did you decide that it was going to be uh, a bigger part of your life? Yeah. Well. Um, you know, I, I think like a lot of people, I dabbled in several different types of jobs. I, I thought I wanted to go to law school. So I was I worked at the Justice Department for a couple of years after college in a paralegal program and, and loved that work. I got to do some really cool stuff. I was a undercover uh, housing tester for the Civil Rights Department. And I, um, you know, helped sort of translate uh, cables from the Cali cartel for the narcotic and dangerous drug section and and did some other uh, really cool litigation. And I was like, I've, I've topped out. This is what this is the coolest thing uh, lawyers get to do. So I, I decided um, being a lawyer was not for me. I'm, I was more interested in the in the policy side of things. Mm. So um, in between, you know, getting married and following my husband to his law school and then his clerkship, I also tried uh, some work in the nonprofit world and as a teacher. Um, and then I applied to grad school. I got a, a full scholarship to Princeton and um, 
that was hard to turn down. You know, they, they said, we want to pay you to come study public policy. And I said, okay, uh, that sounds fantastic. And one of the reasons that scholarship was so important to me and my classmates is uh, rather than accruing debt for that two years of my master's degree, I was not uh, incurring any debt and I could then be more open to taking jobs that weren't uh, so well paid. So um, right after that, I got great advice um, from from people, uh, from professors and, and people in the business community and people in the public service arena. One way to move forward in any career is to understand how the money works. So right after uh, graduate school, I went, I was a budget analyst for the Arizona State Legislature, where, again, my husband was uh, working as a new professor at Arizona State. So our careers have been a little back and forth, taking turns and, and you know, supporting each other and, and He's the reason I'm in Knoxville, and now, uh, you know, we we both have uh, bloomed where we're plant where we've been planted, and 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 we love it here. And you know, it's the greatest city in the world. I'm I'm just honored to have this job and and be working in this arena. It really is a dream job for me. Excellent. You were uh, you were involved in the previous administration too somehow right mm-hmm. was that your first job within the uh, the city of Knoxville kind of it was world? yeah I've worked for the federal government for state governments <laughs> and then I was 10 years on the school board uh, but my first job working for the city of Knoxville was with Mayor Rojero I um we went to Slovenia for a year where I taught school again and then when we <laughs> came back it was my uh, ben would ask me, so what are you going to do when you come back? And I said, I don't know. Maybe My hope is that maybe someone will recruit me and say, oh, you know, India's back in town. I'd love to, to come work with me. And so I did run into Mayor Rojero at a, an event, and she said she she had an opening in her on her team and asked if I would apply. And I said, absolutely. And then I got the job and worked for her for two and a half years, learned a lot, uh, learned a lot about you know city governance, but also about the role uh, she did as mayor. And, and then I loved that job, and I thought she was doing a great job. And the only reason I left was to, she's term limited, and I wanted to put my hat in the ring to try to succeed her. Did did you feel did you feel uh, as her term was coming to a close? There eight years, is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I believe the previous mayor to her, uh, uh, Bill Haslam, he mm-hmm. term limited out too. So mm-hmm. it's two two in a row. Of, yeah, he six- didn't quite finish his term because he ran for governor. And oh won. really? So there was an interim oh, okay. mayor briefly, Dan Brown, our first African American mayor. He's appointed. Uh, he he was vice mayor and served as mayor for I don't know a year, eighteen months okay. in between when he left for to be the governor before Mayor Rojero was elected. Gotcha. When, was there a point in in uh, you working with her that you said when you said I, I think I, I might be able to do this I, think I might be able to handle it? <laughs> well, it was a great learning experience, and and I I like to uh, give things a go. You know, they say <laughs> uh, on your deathbed you never regret uh, what you did, but what you didn't do. Mm-hmm. So I was like I I did enjoy learning from her and and seeing sort of a. a front row seat of that mayor's role and and I thought it was worth worth a shot for me to give it a go and and so far so good I I, I ran in a six-way race I was the only woman running uh, it was a very competitive race very civil and collegial all, all six great candidates and then um, you know it was narrowed down to two after mm-hmm. the uh, primary and um, I'm really proud of all the people who ran you know because they all were doing it for the right reasons and um, you know to this day my uh, 
colleague Eddie Manis. He's now uh, serving in the state legislature, and and we have a very um, collegial and and constructive relationship. And he wants what's best for our community, and and so do I. So that's the way I like politics to work. And, mm-hmm. and Knoxville politics has a good track record of um, being productive, finding common ground, and and you know even when you have disagreements, working through it in a civil manner. What were the what were your biggest uh, what you saw as as the biggest things that needed to be addressed uh, when you when you got into office? What were the first things that you uh, wanted to tackle? Yeah, I would say uh, number one was housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a serious crisis with affordable housing, and that was clear in 2019, and then it's only gotten worse uh, since then. So that was a big issue. I pledged to uh, with the Justice Knox group to find a dedicated uh, source of funding and, and work with them. And one of the first things I did as mayor is uh, work with them uh, and uh, have them part of a steering community that we came up with an ordinance, and now we've dedicated $50 million of local funds towards uh, affordable housing. And, and I also appreciate that that group, uh, Justice Knox, along with people from the construction trades, real estate and bankers, were, were really um, key, you know, said that we needed to focus on affordable housing, but also that affordable housing can have many meanings. Like, does that mean, so we can use those funds to buy land and then allocate that land towards more, you know, construction or rehab projects that will be for affordable housing. It, it can be for um, the lowest of low income, um, but it can also be for people who are trying to build wealth and move from generations of being renters to buying their own homes. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of flexibility, and uh, I think that's very wise. The needs are, are huge and growing, and the, the local dollars complement monies that come in through private sector dollars. Uh, we can bridge financing gaps for people who want to build uh, new housing or renovate existing housing. Also, federal dollars uh, mm. come into play. So housing, I'd say, is a, was a, a big issue. What was what was number two on the list that you uh, that, that you started to to think about? Because I know that we've had some some proposals that have come up, and I think you just got out of a, a bunch of budget <laughs> stuff yeah. recently, where you, some things happened that you're proud of. But what else beyond housing did you see as kind of the penultimate thing to? to tackle? I think uh, uh, another big issue was equity. Equity. Uh, I had ten years on the school board, and I was. I think we made great progress during that time addressing disparities in outcomes. But one thing I came to conclude was that our schools can only be as healthy and strong as the neighborhoods that they're serving. Mm. So one of the things I pledged to do as mayor, and I'm really proud of some of the progress we've made, is to invest in neighborhoods um, and invest in people. So that was another thing I, I promised to do as a candidate and have been able to follow through on some of those promises. For example, um, sometimes transportation is a barrier mm. uh, for people to get to jobs. And so I made cat free for kids up through high school. Yep. So anyone who needs to stay after school for tutoring or sports or drama can still get home uh, if, you know, if they live near a bus line, which right. uh, most city kids do. Every single middle and high school in the city of Knoxville has a bus stop right outside it. Um, and so now kids are able to ride for free. And that's that's one, one you know, not so small thing, but it's a significant thing. And, and I also, uh, the third thing, you know, so we have affordable housing and equity, but the third huge priority during the campaign uh, was about sustainability. And so that one program for um, bus ridership also helps meet our, our carbon reduction goals where it establishes, rider, you know, the pattern of using the bus as a, a viable option for people who 
don't want to drive or can't afford a car or are too young to have a driver's license. Mm. Um, but but those transit options, the more people use it, the the more frequency we can get the buses to come. And and buses, uh, you know, we talk about electric vehicles and and we're and all that. That's all good. But if you can get thirty people to ride a bus instead of thirty single vehicles, sure. so that's um, a really ideal solution. Plus, I'm really proud that our buses, uh, 16 of our 75 or so buses are fully electric now. I saw that. Yeah. So fully wrapped and, and it says this bus is electric. I know. <laughs> they're quiet. There's no emissions. Zero. Yeah. Zero emissions. So um, those were sort of the priorities that I pledged to work on during the campaign. Obviously, a couple months in the office, I was putting together my budget, you know, putting my team together, and then the pandemic hit. Mm. So some of those priorities had to uh, go on the back burner or, or just be not not on the back burner, but I had to make other priorities even higher, like addressing a global pandem- pandemic and um, you know trying to keep people safe in light of all of those challenges. And then, of course, we had the George Floyd murder and all of the um, effort to address systemic racism and to... Uh, reimagine policing and and make sure we're doing uh policing in constitutional ways right. and and obviously that's been a big focus of of all of our efforts in the last 2 years. Well, hit a couple things there that that I I'd like to dig in deeper because I because I I really I want to talk about uh policing methods and mm-hmm. how, you know, in in instead of this, you know, you've got one tool and it's a hammer kind of approach with policing uh using you know, social workers and mm-hmm. and uh, and other folks who y- you don't always need someone to be restrained or you right. know sometimes you know there's other ways to to go about things and and I, I know that you have worked a lot to reform that in our in our uh, city police department and you know a a what have we done there and and b um, what have you seen the effects yeah. be from there? Well, right after uh, the George Floyd murder. We wanted to find out what we were doing right and and what we needed to change right away. And so we immediately uh, adopted the eight can't wait um, elements that the My Brother's Keeper, it's a Barack Obama, you know, supported foundation. Mm-hmm. And and the eight can't wait was you know several things that they said you know we need to do these things right away. And luckily KPD was already doing uh, at least six of them um, that were explicitly in writing. And then so we immediately updated to add the other two, which was banning chokeholds hmm. um, and also um, requiring uh, police officers. Uh, what, what is the word when, when you're required to report somebody who's doing something wrong, your fellow officer? Mm, um, I accountability can't or, the, yeah. Or, or, yeah, some kind it's, of oversight. Yeah, it's just peer oversight. Yeah, it's just saying, you know, a duty to report, duty duty to report okay. um, when when you see something going wrong, mm. um, even, you know, even if it's your colleague. So, right. Um, so those were things that I think KPD uh, was doing, but it wasn't necessarily in writing. And so we updated that. Um, of course, we've had uh, really high level of violence and and homicides in 2020 was mm-hmm. was high, and unfortunately 2021 was higher. Um, I don't think that's. I think you look across communities. You know, big, small, urban, rural, red, blue across the country, and the level of violence has been really high right. throughout. And so, I don't think that I don't attribute that to KPD, KPD's action or inactions. I attribute that to the instability that the pandemic resulted in. A lot of, um, you know, lost income 
economic mm-hmm. instability, mental health, you know, um, crises. And then, you know, for a while, kids were home from school, my, including my own daughter, you know, who was a, a student at the time in Knox County. Um, and then even the year following, Knox County allowed people to go back in person, but many families opted not to for, you know, various different needs according to their risk levels and vulnerabilities and health status. So a lot of families had a lot of, uh, if they were on the edge of being unstable, they went over the edge. And so that, um, I think that contributed to domestic violence issues and uh, non-domestic violence issues as well. We also have uh, a huge number of guns in our community Mm. and uh, even people who are lawful gun owners sometimes don't lock their guns up or their gun their they keep their gun in their car and then the car gets robbed and then those guns go into the hands of people who have nefarious intentions and um so the easy access to guns and unstable conditions of our world contributed to that but so it it has been really challenging and um uh, but i I do think some of the changes we've made we we try you know the co-responder that having a social worker uh accompany police officers on mental health crises calls mm-hmm. um that's we that has never been tried in knoxville we piloted it for a few months and then it worked so well we incorporated it into the full budget and now there's four teams where a police officer responds with a social worker or trained mental health professional and that's been uh, really helpful for everything from suicides uh to people um having some kind of psychotic break. Um, and sometimes they're armed. I know some people say, well, let's mm. just let the social workers go solo. But it's some of those um, people, you never know if they're armed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we just saw what happened in New York City. It seemed like a very, uh, it didn't seem like a super dangerous call, but when, if, 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 when the police, well, a police officer got killed responding to a domestic violence oh, call uh, or some kind of thing where it didn't seem like it would be violent, but... Again, you never know. And so right. a lot of times our, when when talking to mental health professionals from McNabb and other places, they say they want a police officer to be with them. And then once a situation is, is seen as, you know, there's no uh, immediate risk to life and limb, then they can go in and do their counseling. Mm. But meantime... We require uh, de-escalation training for all our officers, and also every single uh, officer goes through crisis intervention training. And some, and there's a minimum amount. I can't remember the number of hours that every officer goes through, but then many officers, uh, forty or fifty uh, of them at least, maybe more now, have gone through extra training where they spend several weeks. Um, again, I can't remember the exact details of how long where they go on and get a special credential as a crisis intervention mm-hmm. uh, sort of. Um, specialist so they can you know they they just have a little more awareness of of uh, mental health issues and how to um approach people in a way that is calming and uh gets people um the help they need right and it seems like knowing when to use which type of intervention is probably very helpful too cuz i think that was one of the big things that you kept hearing with George Floyd is that you know, there's so much firearm training and so so much, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're going into a situation expecting it to be uh, to be dangerous. And, you know, there's there's other tools that can right. be that can be used uh, before force. Right. You sort of want to be uh, prepared for the worst scenarios, but not assume that you're going to need to use a weapon mm. or, or be shot at. Uh, so, um 
Yeah, being a police officer is a hard job. It's a very mm-hmm. hard job. Police officers and, and teachers, I always contend, are mm-hmm. you know some of the most underappreciated and underpaid uh, individuals that uh, that we have out there, and they're so important. Absolutely. Police officers are so important for our our safety, and you're you're seeing that in you know in in places where. Uh, the need is too great and the and the money's not there to have mm-hmm. enough police officers and then and then you know teachers as well um we're, we're, my, my my kids with their teachers six hours a day my, just as yeah. much as I am you know right. so that person is having as big of an influence on my child's life as, as I should yeah. that's a very important thing as well you're right and you're exactly right that they're underpaid and that, that's why I, I announced uh, recently that I plan to put into my budget a major increase for city employees, particularly police officers, um, because we have uh, 40 or forty or 45 unfilled uh, positions right now, just in police. Really? Uh, we have uh, more like 150 across the city. So I'm hoping, uh, we, we did a compensation study, so we're we're not just guessing here. We're, we're basing this on a, a consultant who studied uh, peer markets. So we're going to do, um, well, I'm going to propose and council uh, will be reviewing this as part of the overall budget, uh, a, a significant increase of 6% to all police officers and all employees. And then depending on what the market uh shows some officers and and positions may get uh, additional to that. Plus, um, everyone's going to make at least $15 an hour. We do have 100 or so uh, people whose starting salary was below that level. Mm. And that's just um, not a living wage. Uh, Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, Not even in Knoxville is it a living wage. So everyone in the city will earn $15 an hour. And hopefully if if, uh, council approves uh, this budget proposal, then then we'll just have more competitive wages for everybody. And and police officers have a very hard job and they are underpaid and they can leave uh, and make more money in, in private sector jobs sure. or in security or, or other, other things. So we want to keep them. It, it costs also something like $40,000 every time we train a new police officer or firefighter. So this is just uh, not good stewardship to spend that money to train them and then let them go before we have had the opportunity to benefit from their experience. So, Sure. Oh, well, I, it's that's very different from a defund the police narrative, which is a lot of the response that you heard after the, after, you know, the George yeah. Floyd stuff specifically. And, you know, I, I, I think it's the opposite of that. I think it's give people that we depend on uh, the tools to do their job. And I, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised to hear that, that, that you're having trouble, you know, filling roles within the police department. I guess everybody, you know, the hiring it's, market everywhere. I is, think it's the labor market right, right. now in general. Uh, but I'm hoping to fix that. Uh, and and I do think that um, yeah, I never supported the defund police movement, and I and I think it was uh, misguided. Misguided. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just to the contrary, we need to you know support our police officers. We're asking them to do more than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to train them to do all of these nuanced communication and de-escalation skills. And have the ability uh, to intervene to protect lives if there's a you know lethal threat. Sure. Um, so at the same time, uh, I I started for the first time ever the Office of Community Safety and and raised uh, promoted Lakenya Middlebrook to be the director of that entity, and that is a recognition that public you know safety is something that KPD alone cannot provide, mm. and safety is a community wide issue, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of studies and research that shows those communities' eyes on the street, the grandmothers, the um, <laughs> the other people who you know are just part of the community, and they know when something 
look doesn't look right, or they know they can help enforce those uh, social conventions. Like, no, you're not supposed to be playing music at at uh, high levels at midnight in sure. the middle of the neighborhood. That's right. not okay. So how so those sort of um, informal ways to um, you know keep the peace is really sure. important and and. Um, Miss Middlebrook's job is also to really focus on our violence interruption efforts where um, we know that in, when there, particularly when there's an issue where someone is hurt or killed, sometimes there's a strong uh, tendency towards retaliation mm. and then it's just a vicious cycle. So she is working to train up um, people with credibility in the community who are not at all associated with law enforcement to be available and ready to intervene. And whether you go to the hospital or you go to the families or, or just you're out in the community, 2 a.m., you know, 2 p.m., everywhere in between, trying to interrupt those viol- those cases of violence that mm. before they get even worse. Yep. So one of the other things that we touched on a few minutes ago uh, with the with the buses and sustainability push mm-hmm. and all that, I've I've wondered uh, how how much of a city mayor's job and and purview and even I don't know even uh, how much focus uh, needs to be put on climate change, which is a global thing. Mm-hmm. And do you see it as you know it's it's not something that we're necessarily going to be able to reverse or fix ourselves, but we just have to be a a smaller part of the bigger push. To do that, because when you add a bunch of Knoxville's together, then you start to really have you know some, can have some impact. Absolutely. So, so how, how do you how do you a- approach that with uh, with how you weigh how, how much focus you can put on something that's more of a global push? Right. Well, of all the issues we've talked about today, that's the one that's really existential for our whole planet. And so, I think. Uh, the people of Knoxville want the city to be at the forefront of combating climate change. And so I'm doing everything I can to think globally and act locally. And mm. we're going to be um, launching a community solar project in the near future. Um, we are doing, we have our own uh emissions reductions goals that we're doing as a city, but also trying to do the same as a community. Um, and, you know, we, we have to, we have to act on that. Uh, I was able to convene my a mayor's Climate Council, which um, investigated like waste, buildings, and transportation, the three big sectors, all through an equity lens, because sometimes you 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 try to push forward on one area or the other, uh, and w- you have to be aware of the disparate impact that can have on mm-hmm. people of, of uh, lower income levels. So just making sure that that's always part of the conversation is, is really important. So yeah, we have to act. Uh, the other thing is Knoxville is in a unique position, even though we're a small uh, city, uh, when you think about the global picture, we are the center of a lot of clean technology. You know, thanks to uh, TVA, Oak Ridge National Lab, and mm-hmm. UT, we are attracting people who are amazing minds who are going to make us have uh, great batteries and be able mm-hmm. to have, uh, you know, dynamic charging along our roadways for electric vehicles um, where you don't even have to stop and plug in. It's like happening on the road as you go. I can't wait for uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> and and so to me, the answers to climate change are going to be in part changing, you know, behaviors and, and mindsets and culture, but other parts, a big part is going to be innovation and how do we, you know, decarbonize 
things as they you know before they're emitted into the air or how do we um you know use ocean water to power our home heat mm-hmm. or whatever i things that are not that are not in my wheelhouse but i've been able to visit um some labs here at uh, you know Cherokee Farms and also out at Oak Ridge and the stuff that uh, they're working on is amazing and there are so also there's a lot of effort and and we're supporting that too to move from you know the labs to application mm. so we are going to be a small but mighty uh part of this climate change response, not just in how we act and, and reduce our own carbon footprint, but also how we support the the, the great minds who are going to help us innovate out of this. We have so many of them around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we lived in uh, Park Ridge for about five years before we mm-hmm. moved to this house. And, uh, you know, all the houses around us were a rotating cast of graduate students. Yeah. From, and I was just amazed at how how many intelligent people come, you know, cycle through university, ORNL. Mm-hmm. I mean, TVA is doing hydroelectric stuff and, and, and nuclear too, I guess, nearby. Yep. So, I mean, there's lots of, we, we kind of, I, I hadn't thought about it like that, but we are kind of in this very fertile ground of, you know, innovation in energy, kind of a good cross-section right. Venn diagram of all that. And and we're also bringing uh, through, you know, some other entities, What what is it called? Um, it just started recently it's bringing basically venture capital and and people who can invest in mm. these entities it's like a tech incubator yeah or something it's like, like a that? tech incubator yeah. te- tech stars oh, tech yeah. stars yeah. and mm-hmm. they're going to be uh, located their offices uh, where where these you know brilliant people who are <laughs> taking their ideas into you know direct business applications are going to be downtown but then they'll be able to use the the super fast computers out at Oak Ridge and mm-hmm. lab space at UT and um and get the money to go from research to um, applications that businesses and industry can use on a regular mm-hmm. basis. So that's pretty exciting because uh, when you start having that ecosystem that supports uh, the scientists and the business applications, and I, my part of my job is to make Knoxville a community that people want to stay in. You know, so you yes. you can work hard all day, and then you can go out and have a beer afterwards, or go out and do your mountain bike riding, or raise your family here and know that we have great public schools. You know, those are those are part of the quality of life things that I want to att- attract and retain uh, all the talented people here. Yep. Well, you you hit on something that I really want to talk about, and that's okay. baseball. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, it's been on the. Are you a fan? Are you a baseball fan? Yes. And I mean, I grew up going to the KJ's games oh, okay. at, you know, Bill Meyer Stadium. And, yep. you know, my little girls are six years old. I want yeah. to take them and, and do that. And it's so um, exciting that it sounds like we're we're on a path to, you know, have have a multi-use stadium. It's not just mm-hmm. baseball. There's going to be baseball. other things, too. Uh, what has that process been like uh, getting that going? Because I know that there's people on both sides of it who... Um, who you know? Who who support it? People who don't support it, and um, it just it seems like it really is a big quality of life thing that can go a long way in our mm-hmm. downtown. Well, I think uh, some of the p- detractors just aren't fully aware of all the good aspects of it. I was skeptical at first myself, and I always said that I would support it only if the benefits to the people of Knoxville outweighed the costs. And right now, the costs are going to be two hundred forty thousand dollars a year for ten years. Just not that much uh, in the big picture uh, when you have a budget of you know two hundred fifty million uh, per year. So um, 
that's that's the cost to the people of Knoxville. And then the benefits are we're bringing baseball back. Sure. And we're also going to have a place for a, prof- a professional soccer team and uh, other events that can happen throughout the year and uh, farmers markets, you know, weddings, family reunions. Uh, and, and it also is like a public park. So people can, you know, go there and just walk around, you know, walk laps just the way they might do at a, at a mall. But the other thing is that doesn't even count the indirect benefits, which is mm. going to be a catalyst for uh, revitalizing a part of town that has not seen much investment in, in years uh, include, and, and be a gateway to connect to uh, East Knoxville yes. and Magnolia Avenue. And um, I just think it's going to be a, a great thing and, and already had, has inspired more construction of housing uh, and more investment in other businesses. So um, change is, is a little scary, uh, but I think this is the kind of change that the benefits are going to be great to our community for years to come. So I'm, I'm excited. Um, so the first pitch will come out in 2024. So really? your girls will still be uh, young and maybe uh, exploring, you know, softball and other sports themselves. Sure. And then the soccer team, uh, mm-hmm. that's a soccer club. I talked to Brandon Bruce. He was mm-hmm. here um, on the podcast about a year ago and was telling me all about it. it sound, yeah. That sounds exciting, too, because, mm-hmm. again, there's, you know, there, we have rabid fan bases around here mm-hmm. who travel to Atlanta to see the, the you know, the, the soccer mm-hmm. games down there. It's going to be great to have, uh, not just to have that sport here competing at that level, but also uh, I feel like that was a big, a, a big reason that we were all, that people were also finally able to, to rally and support a stadium, a multi-use stadium. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about the amount of money that it costs to spend and the amount of resources and the allocation it takes to get all that going. If you're only using it 38 days a year, it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, if, make, yeah, but if you're using it three, four, five times mm-hmm. as much as that, then now we're talking. Yeah, so, ex- so that seems ex- like a, a that, that, that kind of helped. It's just mm-hmm. one of the small pieces that helped. Yeah. One knock soccer along. club. I'm, I'm uh, excited about that. I'm a soccer, former soccer player okay. and, and fan myself. And, and I think that there's a lot of energy around that and, and the stadium, it really is going to be multi-use and, and that's a positive. And I'm also really proud of getting back to the, the issue that was number one during the campaign was affordable housing. Mm. Just a short walk away from the stadium, uh, we are in the process of redeveloping Austin Homes, First Creek at Austin, and it's going to go from 135 units to something like 430. Mm-hmm. And they're brand new buildings, and there's uh, everything ranging from one bedrooms to five bedrooms, so it can be for um, people who live with one or two people to large families. It's walking distance to Green Magnet Elementary to mm-hmm. Vine Magnet and also to jobs and transit and all the things that uh, we want to connect people to opportunity. So there is, uh, I, I'm so pleased that that is happening at the same time because, you know, that kind of investment does um also inspire people to build um, real expensive housing that, that will be overlooking home plate and, and that sort of thing. And that's not affordable, although more housing uh, in general, more more supply will help uh, address the market shortages in general. But the fact that we have uh, mixed income that's very low income to moderate income, walking distance from this major investment is a real plus. It's excellent. I'm looking very, very forward yeah. to it. Uh, so, What's been your What's been the toughest thing that maybe you you didn't see coming uh, when when you set out? I'm sure that you knew there were going to be things that come that came up that were going to be hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. But uh, what what has been kind of the uh, what's what's been your, your your maybe an unexpected challenge that you've seen during your term? 
Yeah, well, obviously the hardest thing has been the level of violence. You know, in particular last year, we had uh, so many young teenagers uh, getting mm. losing their life to gun violence. And it was, I mean, it's really upsetting uh, as a mayor, as a mom, as a human being to see that loss of life. And um, so obviously I knew public safety was an important part of what the mayor's job is. And, and there's always going to be some level of, of violence, but uh, having it be, you know, un, unusually high uh, and then having it be so many young people who are victims has been really challenging. And so that's been a, a top priority to address uh, both through the you know law enforcement side of things as well as the more general community safety and and uh, knock on wood uh, things are getting better and and I'm really glad for that it's excellent yes uh, it was very um, it, you know as a parent of course it, it you think about these things and how it could be my kid and all those you know and all those thoughts run run through your head but you know I wondered you know, what, what happened? Why is it that, is it gang stuff? Do we know? Like are kids getting into that kind of thing? And is there more of a, you know, a, 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 something that I don't even see going mm-hmm. on out there that's, that's Yeah. Happening? Well, I think, uh, for these young people, it's, it's stuff that used to be, you know, a fist fight or uh, maybe a knife fight that now with access, easy access to guns ends up uh, in fatal gun, gun shootings. And, and, um, I think that's part of it. I mm. think also just the instability caused by the pandemic has uh, exacerbated things. Um, you know, I, there's some gang issues as well, but I, I think some of those other issues are are uh, even more of a factor. So, gotcha. um, but we are making headway. Our, our police officers are, um, you know, able to uh, go after people with illegal guns uh, and you know catch them before they commit crimes you know that are fatal um and also we we launched another thing called crime stoppers where people can um get you know report tips anonymously and get rewards for that and mm. that that helps too that anonymity is important sure. and and KPD's been able to arrest some people with uh who are suspected of of a lot of very dangerous and and threatening crimes and mm. now they're off the street so um but yeah the you know the uptick, I think, is is attributable to the you know since we're not the only city who experienced it, I think right. it's these global issues, not just things intrinsic to Knoxville. Right. Yeah, I, I heard uh, I heard the governor talking about that. Uh, you know, right when we were in the throes of the pandemic, the you know the rise in in domestic violence and mm-hmm. and things like that, people the shut in nature mm-hmm. of it when we were all a little bit nervous to get out of the house. I mean, yeah. we I can see how that. Uh, I mean, it was tough on us. It was—I'm mean, sure it was tough on on everybody. Well, and in particular, if you work in jobs where you can't stay home, or right. or your you know your business might have not been operating at full sure. speed, and so you lost income and you're stuck at home, uh, uh, it's really challenging time for a lot of families, and and you know those who were struggling previously might have really had even bigger issues. Right. So. If you didn't have a lot of fault tolerance, the, uh, you know, the, the all the, 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 uh, the trappings of the pandemic had a lot of different ways it could attack you mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, so do you have, uh, sort of like a, uh, a, a group of city mayors in the United States, you get together with your, with your counterparts in other cities and you guys talk about Absolutely. what you're seeing. Yeah. And, okay. I'm a member of the U S conference of mayors. Um, and I, I went to 
one gathering in January 2020 and then n- nothing for, uh, until <laughs> January of this year. I mean, we had okay. some Zoom meetings yeah. and that sort of thing, but uh, January of 2022, we, we reconvened in, in D.C. and oh, it was really nice to see people. And, and also I, I talk, uh, for a time it was weekly, but now it's every other week with my fellow mayors from Nashville, Chattanooga, and Memphis. We speak on the phone um, every weekend or every other weekend and and you know, talk about what's going on in our cities and, and share ideas and also sometimes commiserate or, or just uh, boost each other's sure. spirits because uh, it has been a very intense time. And, and one thing, because so many people are under so much uh, stress themselves, sometimes uh, they lash out at, at their local elected officials and, and you know, look just... I don't take it personally. Uh, they're, uh, you know, having their struggles and want some help and sometimes uh, want to cast blame. And so sometimes when I can help, I do. Uh, and other times, you know, I try to connect them to resources wh- where possible. But right. uh, but yeah, the U.S. Conference of Mayors is a great resource, National League of Cities, and and also um, just my, my fellow mayors here in Tennessee mm-hmm. have been really helpful. I also, you know, have called on uh, Madeline Rojero and Bill Haslam, uh, and they've reached out to me, you know, particularly during the early months of the pandemic. Uh, They were, said anything they can do to help because they never, you know, as they said, there was no playbook for navigating that that challenge. And so um, I sometimes tapped into their thoughts and and wisdom and and just uh, support too. So, you know, talking about having, you know, opposition, people lashing out, people getting riled up about things. It seems like there's tons of that that, that can happen. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you uh, I, I don't know how you do it and keep the <laughs> smile going and not get, uh, you know, get not get insecure. Am I doing a good job? What's you know, how, how do you shut out the noise and just continue to do your job? Yeah, well. Yeah, there have been some moments where it's been harder than others. You know, I had, uh, you know, somebody vandalize my home and I've had protesters at our house and and also, you know, protests uh, in other parts of the city and during city council meetings, some very uh, pointed uh, comments during public forum. But one, one, uh, two, two strategies I have for that. One is after 10 years on the school board, I realized uh, you got to have thick skin and that it's not it's not about me it's like people are upset about circumstances and right. uh i'm just a you know elected officials and mayors are just a a target of that that's it's not about it's not personal and and the other thing is and this was hard during certain points in the pandemic is just getting out and about in the community where you realize um yes people are stressed and there's some issues but you know someone will complain about say a, a pothole or something and someone else will be like hey you just repaved the street it's awesome and they don't bother to get in touch with you about that but when you're out in the community they'll say you know oh, mm. hey mayor you know thanks for making the buses free for my kids that saves me some money i appreciate that or um you know i'm really excited about my new home uh that was just built at you know first creek at austin or um you know some of the other many affordable housing uh apartment buildings that we've helped break ground on or, or cut the ribbon on so getting out and about and and speaking to people in a more uh a broader swath of the community is really helpful. So I also like to just be outside and spend time with, uh, you know, friends and my dog and exercise, and that sort of keeps me uh, even keeled. So how, are you able to uh, to appreciate the quality of life things that we have going oh. on here? Do you get to work, or do you have to work all the time? 
I have to play some of the time or else I wouldn't be uh, have much energy left to get stuff done at work. So, yeah, I, I love our, our parks and I spend a lot of time outside whenever possible. Um, you know, north, south, east, west, there's there's great parks all over mm-hmm. the city. Uh, I'm a big fan and, and heavy user of our urban wilderness. I like to mm-hmm. mountain bike and hike and um, I love our quarries. You know, they're great for uh, swimming and hanging out in cool, cold water places. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, greenways. Uh, I love all that. I, I do get to use it. Yeah, Good. That's, uh, that's important to me. Yeah. Well, I, I, I uh, would love to see you at Pachaca Cha on, uh, on Thursday okay. night if you get out and about. That'd okay. be a fun thing Maybe to do. Maybe I'll be able to stop by. That'd be <laughs> yeah. fun. What time does it start? 7.20. 7.20. Okay. Yeah. I'll see if I can. Yeah. What are some of your other favorite things to do in, in, in Knoxville other than the, the be outside uh, yeah. kind of stuff? Well, uh, my husband and I love going to live music. Mm. And again, we couldn't for a long time, but now that's back and we're excited about Big Ears and we're excited about other uh, music that's happening around. I love live theater, you know, so um, starting to get back into that. I love going going to all kinds of shows and... you know that those are the things that we do. I also just like movies. <laughs> you know, just yeah. all these things that we took for granted for for so long. Um, it's nice to get back into it. I uh, I have always been, and I'm in the film and television business. But I, I I've always, for the last ten or fifteen years, said, uh, you know, I think I'd rather just sit at home with my and watch it on my big screen TV mm. and watch it on Disney Plus or whatever, and and have the movies come to me. But after being shut in for two years, yeah. going to the Riviera downtown yeah, and sitting and, and taking in a movie, yeah. it's great. I also am a big sports fan. And, you are. You know, we go to um, Vols football games. We're season ticket holders for basketball and football, and try to go to some Lady Vols games. And I, I caught the uh, playoffs of the UT men's uh, baseball team Excellent. last year, and. Um, just love all of that too. I mean, University of Tennessee is a, a great school uh, academically and has so many great programs, and they've got some great sports to watch too. And um, really enjoy that that part of Knoxville too. So, what <laughs> the the University of Tennessee is such a force in in this mm-hmm. in in Knoxville. How do you interface with the university and keep the balance of in of influence, I guess. I mean, I just, I, I would think that it would be very easy for a, 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 an entity like the University of Tennessee to just say, here's what we're going to do and let's do it. We're, we're enormous. How do you, uh, <laughs> you know, how do you interface with them to make sure that, that, uh, that, that what's The tail going- doesn't wag the dog? Yes. <laughs> That's a good question. And, and uh, luckily we have, I have a great relationship with Dondi Plowman, our chancellor, and, and she has a great team. We meet, I think, quarterly or maybe more often um, just her, her senior team and my senior team to discuss uh, issues that we have in common, whether it's about public safety or housing. Those are the two most common mm-hmm. ones. Um, and, and those are great. We have a very collaborative relationship. She, she doesn't, you know, she tries to, we try to avoid surprising each other uh, right. on, on things. And obviously, um, I've worked with Randy Boyd uh, a little bit over in his role as uh, head of UT Systems, but sure. but also he's got this side business as uh, owner of uh, a baseball <laughs> team. So um, all in all, it's it's uh, it's really good. We we gave them uh, a tour of some things in the city that some people that they're relatively new, like uh, Log Haven uh, Preserve down down here in South Knoxville and other parts of things south, because there's so many UT students who are living uh, south of the river, and mm-hmm. so we wanted to just share with them some of our plans and and thoughts on how we can uh, 
encourage that, but also make sure we don't have everybody who goes to UT drive their own by themselves in a car to campus every day because sure. there's no room for all those right. cars. So um, we, we had a great working relationship with them on uh, revitalizing the streetscape on Cumberland Avenue. Mm. And um, I don't know if you've spent much time there recently, but it's a lot nicer. It's beautiful. Uh, and it's a lot safer. There used to be routine pedestrian, uh, you know, where cars were hitting pedestrians mm-hmm. at all hours. And now that, uh, knock on wood, um, has not happened nearly as much. And and so it's safer. It's more aesthetically pleasing. And the city put in $25 million, and that has leveraged like $250 million in investment from the private sector. So that's a win. That's great. I, I did mean to ask you about the strip because it has been, it seems like a success story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, like I said, uh it's it's safer, it's it's prettier. Uh it encourages more people to walk and to patronize local businesses. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so we've worked really closely with uh UT and our uh Fort Sanders, your your birthplace. Uh <laughs> they're obviously an important player in that area. Sure. So um so yeah, it's been a big success and and uh nothing you know, but that success means more growth and sometimes that means growing pain. So uh, that's sure. that's a positive though too. So, what uh, what other uh, uh, ideas do you have for your career? Because I mean, you know, it, it's it, it the the mayor can only serve for eight years. So I'm just what's... two years into my first term, <laughs> and so that is my uh, I'm I'm living the dream right now. Uh, I am planning on running for re-election. I'll be up for re-election in 23, and um, I feel like the best way to earn re-election is to do a good job as mm-hmm. mayor, and that's what I'm working hard every day to do. And and I do. Uh, love the work. There's never a dull moment. And uh, we are, I think, this year um, able to really hit our stride. Some, you know, the pandemic is not over, but it's hopefully moving to endemic stages, sure. uh, which is a, really a relief. Um, and many of the things that we have initiated in years one and two are now starting to uh, yield some tangible results, whether it's uh, you know the compensation study where I can uh, raise pay for city employees who provide these essential services that people, as we are growing, uh, more people are moving to Knoxville or they're coming back to Knoxville. They need excellent services to you know for public safety, for medical things. Uh, you know, our firefighters. Uh, put out fires, but they also, um, I'd say two thirds of their calls are medical in nature, you know, when people are having heart attacks or overdoses or all those things. So when we spend $40,000 investing in our police and fire and then they leave, that's, that's not good. So, um, so some of these things that we've been put into place uh, in year one are are now starting to bear fruit and uh, really thrilled about our investment at the old St. Mary's complex. Um, we're mm-hmm. going to be um, opening that hopefully later this year in August or September. And that's a $60 million investment in that part of town that otherwise would have been a vacated blighted property. So instead of a empty hospital, it's going to be our new police and fire headquarters and and pension and city courts. And it's a stone's throw from Fulton High School. And I'm hoping, I know that the school has already started a criminal justice program and emergency responder like to introduce students to those careers. And they can walk over and have job shadowing experiences um, Mm. with police and fire, but also um, LMU has a nursing school there and they're opening up a dental school too. So um, that's really close to Fulton, but it's also not uh, an easy transportation ride for kids at Central and West and Austin East. And um, I think that's going to be a real positive. That's excellent. Yeah. 
Kristen, did we miss anything? No, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Um, Mayor. Great boss. <laughs> <laughs> I paid her to say that. Yeah. Uh, well, I am uh, I am very grateful that you came over, and I'm yeah. I'm absolutely delighted and honored to meet you. Thank yeah, you for doing this. I'm pleased to meet you too, and thanks for having me on the show. Of course. See you soon. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that's it. It happened. It's in the books. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for checking out the podcast. If you want to check out our Patreon page and support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash south of scruffy. If you want to check out some of our new merch, go to the website southofscruffy.com. We just got some new howdy y'all hoodies designed, printed. So check that out there. Follow us on Instagram. Keep in touch so you can see new episodes coming up. Hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening. And they'll send you updates when I have new guests on. I appreciate you guys being here. Thank you guys so much. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Pitch wire. Play me out.